Warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara and as always I am here with my ghoul friend Jessica. Hello. Hello, happy Halloween. This is our Halloween episode. It's I just the spooky day. Yes, yes. The best day ever. For like two seconds I fucking forgot, best but then day I was like, of that's the year. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh my god. Oh goodness. Anyway, okay. Well, hello, welcome guys. Before we get into today's case, if you are new here and you would like to hang out with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the handle at Three Spooked Girls. And we have an amazing Facebook group that we have almost 3,000 members in. That is Three Spooked Girls Official. And we also have our Spookster shop that y'all can check out as well. We have lots of cool things over there. I do tarot readings. Jessica does blind date books and apparently wraps them up extremely tight, crazy, hard to get into. <laughs> Maybe. No, I just happened to find this like it's like a like a mailing wrap that like is self adhesive. Mm-hmm. So I understand. Uh, sometimes it's sometimes if you get that certain spot, like it's super easy to open and but I was like yeah. paranoid as fuck. So probably yeah. put a little too much love and effort into it. <laughs> but I also wrap up each book and I was using I everyone's favorite the pizza. pizza paper. Yes. It's the one that you can get at Target, guys. So it's pretty great. It's pretty it great. Speaking of that, this is not an ad for this company, mm. but I just saw like something on TikTok the other day or TikTok or Instagram or something uh. where they will custom make your wrapping paper <gasps> with like names on it. That's really cool, actually. So like you could have Christmas wrapping paper that says with Bug. people's names. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna have to look into that. I like that's awesome. I have it saved. I'll probably have to be like, order it today because it'll take forever to fucking get here, but it's fine. <laughs> uh, Side note, send it to my house and we can just wrap shit when I get there. Literally good idea. I did not even think of that. <laughs> Though I'm literally going to ship all of my presents to your house because it makes no sense for me to carry them. No, no, no. Anyways, yes. <laughs> okay, well, now you guys know our fucking life plans for the next two months. That's fine. <laughs> our Christmas plan. Oh, God. And if you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls for as little as a dollar. You get one bonus episode a month. So that means our patrons also get an extra episode just for them today as well. 
And five and up, you get ad-free episodes that typically drop a day early. And we have all kinds of fun other stuff you can check out over there. But yeah, with that, I'm going to go ahead and just dive on into this case. It originally came off that list. Jessica and I went over the Halloween homicides. This is a Halloween case. I'm going to go ahead and give a trigger warning that the victim is a child and there are some extremely, extremely graphic details with this one, as most of our child cases. Basically, I mean, every case is horrific, but like with the kid ones, I know some people, they can't. I get it. It's hard to research. So if you need to skip this one for today, yeah, go listen to a fun, spooky one for Halloween. (laughs) We have lots of good ones. All right. So Lisa Ann French was born on June 2nd, 1964 in Oshkosh, Wisconsin to parents Alan French and Marianne Gehrig. At the time of her murder, Lisa attended the fourth grade at Chegwin Elementary School and was also a member of her local Girl Scouts troop. Lisa was described as wise beyond her years and just a kind child. She was always thinking of other kids. And when she was nine years old, she came home from school one day and said to her mom that, quote, There's a little girl in school who doesn't have nice clothes, and she was wondering if she could go through some of her clothes she didn't wear and take them to school with her to give to this other little girl. And she did. She took a big bag of clothes with her and gave them to this little girl. That is so fucking precious, you know, like so fucking sweet. And so Lisa lived at 192 Amory Street in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, with her mother and her stepfather, Bruce, and her newborn half-brother. Her father and his wife, I believe he had remarried as well. They, they lived nearby and all of that good stuff. This is a really small town. It's actually like a super cute little town. When I was researching this, every person that had like done a had covered this they were like, it looks like mm-hmm. it looks like a little Halloween town type of thing, like cutie, like super cute during the fall. And I was like, damn, they right. But for me, I was like, this is as if Halloween town and Gilmore Girls had a baby, like that kind of little town. <gasps> yes. Stars Hollow. Yes. Stars Halloween. Yes. And I, trademark, I'm going to write a fucking little cozy book about that. So don't fucking steal my idea, anybody. <laughs> Um, but no, for real, super fucking cute. Okay, so like I said, this case occurred on Halloween night. So we are on, we are at Halloween in 1973 in this cute little town. And like most places, there was events going on on top of trick or treating. The adults in the community wanted to have a safe place for kids to come and enjoy Halloween activities, get candy, and all of that. So there was this, there was this thing that was made, and it was called Pumpkin Place. Some sources say that Lisa had gotten into trouble that, yeah, like so fucking cute, right? So like little carnival and pumpkin patch type of situation is what I gathered. And I was like, I love that. Because like even like in the 70s, people still had that very false sense of safety. But I think like in this community, you know, they that kind of that conversation was kind of coming up more. So they were like, let's make one central safe place for the kids to go do whatever they want because, you know, the whole like razors and candy, like we all know that's fake, but like that whole hysteria was happening. So yes. Yes. Because nobody's giving your kids drugs. No, I'm not going to give no kids no edibles. Your kids may purchase drugs from people, but they, they're not giving them. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Maybe that's where that came from is some kids like bought drugs. And And then then they blamed it on that. These people just gave us kids. Yeah, it's got to be some stupid Mm -hmm. like that. But anyway, so some sources say that Lisa 
had gotten in trouble earlier that day, so she wasn't allowed to go to Pumpkin Place with her friends anymore. But her parents allowed her to go trick-or-treating at the nearby houses for about an hour, and then she needed to come home. Others say that her parents told her she can regular trick-or-treat a few houses before of people they knew and then go to Pumpkin Place because she wanted to get some extra candy. But either way, once the sun set and it was 6 p.m., Lisa was ready to go. And originally, she wanted to go as a butterfly, but being Wisconsin, late fall, it was too cold. So she decided to be a, quote, hobo instead. And But like, before anybody like freaks out that I'm saying that word or whatever, because, you know, whatever, think like the old cartoony one with like the freckles and all of that. Like she had the felt black hat and she had a green parka and she had jeans with blue masking tape and she like did her makeup with the little freckles and stuff. So, you know, and like the stick that has like the like the bag tied on, like all of that kind of stuff. That was kind of like the vibe. I think at that time, though, there was literally a costume as well that was called Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. No, they definitely, I think, like made it basically with stuff, which is like my favorite because that's what I'm doing with mine. So she's supposed to be back from at seven either way from her Halloween stuff. 7.30 rolls around and her mom starts to get a little worried, but she's like, maybe she just lost track of chat track of time because obviously this was way before cell phones and smartwatches and all of that. So like could happen very easy and it's Halloween, you know. Mm -hmm. So her mom gave it a little more time, but by like 9, 10 p.m., everybody knew she was missing. Her parents sprung into action quick. So within a couple hours, everybody knew she was missing and everybody banded together very quickly. There was people on foot on horse. They were going through the woods. They were going through like the swampy bodies of water, all the things to look and find Lisa. But sadly, there was no trace of her at all this evening. And over the course of the next four days, there was a countywide extensive search for her, which included over 5,000 volunteers, 700 block. Yeah, 700 block parents, which is basically like from what I was understanding, kind of like a like the phone tree parents. Yeah. Like for the PTA, like back in the day, you know, police officers, the National Guard, her fellow Girl Scouts, everything. And then they had printed and spread all over the place over 6,000 flyers. And the gas stations in the local area were giving up to, were giving a like each person that was out looking for Lisa 25 Mm -hmm. gallons of gas per person. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, everybody they were so fucking determined they're like we are gonna find her and i'm like good on this town because some like it doesn't sadly sometimes it doesn't happen that way but on november 3rd someone found lisa there was a farmer named gerald braun he was returning home on his tractor at 11 30 a.m and i had to giggle because like we're from a rural area and i'm like yeah definitely had to be behind that tractor (laughs) yes But while he was on his drive back, he saw two brown plastic bags behind a barbed wire fence near a forest on McCabe Road. And he was like, what the fuck is that? So he pulled over. And once he approached the bags, he saw one containing her naked corpse and the other containing her clothing from Halloween. And when authorities were notified, they would come out and get her and everything like that. And originally, her autopsy showed that she had been sexually assaulted, and they thought she had been asphyxiated, so they were like, maybe this may have been the cause of death. 
But when they started looking further into this, they realized that wasn't the case because it showed she had a heart attack and died from shock from her assault. Yeah. And authorities went and, of course, you know, notified Lisa's family, and they held her service on November 6th at a local church. And what was so fucking heartbreaking, just reading all of this, was the fact that at her service, there was nine full pews of other nine-year-olds, of, like, her classmates, her Girl Scout friends, like, all of that, you know, so just Mm. horrible. And, you know, this community was not going to let this go, and neither were authorities. But for the next nine months, basically, the only thing they knew was someone in their community was responsible for this horrific crime, but they had no idea who it was. Oh, my God, that would be terrifying. Yes. And two days after her service, the Chamber of Commerce posted a $10,000 reward for the capture of her killer. So as investigators got to work, they, of course, interviewed any and everyone who may have been connected to Lisa, including the three houses she went trick-or-treating at, because that was all she made it to. Those three houses, want, the first one was a classmate's house, and the second one was a house of one of her teachers, and the last one was their neighbor named Gerald Turner. And the last one, like, some people at first might be like, why would she go to a random neighbor's house like that? But... Lisa and her family knew Gerald and his girlfriend very, very well. Him and Arlene, his girlfriend, they had a baby and they lived in half of the duplex that Lisa's family had owned. I believe it was her biological father who had owned it. So they knew them and literally lived like right down the road. I think it was like less than a block. Hmm. And Lisa actually went over there regularly because she loved their baby. And so like, you know, Gerald and Arlene would let the let her play with their child, the baby and, you know, push him around in his stroller and like all of that stuff. And basically, they built this kind of, you know, this like friendly neighbor relationship with Arlene and Gerald. But authorities could not pin down what had happened to Lisa, even with knowing these facts. Okay, so like I said, This investigation went on for like nine fucking months before they found anything. And they realized that there was something of a red flag when it came to Gerald. They could not put their finger on it, but they kept him as a person of interest. And they really honed in on him when it came to light that he had charges of statutory rape of a 15-year-old babysitter. But nothing came of that, of course. Mm. And so over the course of this nine months, they did multiple interviews, the talk of polygraph tests came up, the whole nine yards, all of that stuff. And that's when he started really getting sketch. So basically, like, there was like all this drama with him doing his polygraph test. At the last minute, for one, he didn't want to go or he acted like the administrator was like being hella sketchy. And that that truly was not the case. Just just really like sketchball behavior. And they're like, "Mm, got you. Now, I went through the court documents for this case. So basically, I kind of to help myself out and to give this case justice, I am going to be reading off of it quite a bit here. So just a little disclaimer. But anyways, so on April 7th, 1974, Captain Heller and Deputy Thomas Snyder of the Sheriff's Department, they went by his house and asked him to come to the Fond du Lac Safety Building for an interview. 
And the officer stated that they discovered a discrepancy in the information he gave them on March 27th. And he met officers that afternoon. And at that time, he met Louis Tomaselli, who was a special agent of the state justice department. He, you know, he was given his rights, all of that good stuff. And he agreed to give samples of body hair and fibers from his comforter at his house. And he did sign consent forms for this. Now, after this, the next two times he had run-ins with the police was August 2nd and August 8th of 1974. On the second, he was requested to come back to that safety building and talk to Agent Tomaselli. And he cooperated fully as well here again. And the agent had asked if he would go to Madison that day for the polygraph. And this is like, this comes, like I said, he pretty much tried to act like he was coerced and then bullied and all this other shit. And this got brought up later in court. And basically, they were just like, sucks to suck, bro. Mm -hmm. But it was like a lot. And I know both of those, like all of those encounters kind of sound the same, but that's literally what kept happening. They kept having this circle and circle and circle with Gerald, like over and over and over and over again. But on August 8th, he confessed to being responsible for the murder of Lisa. Mm. And I am going to, like I said, refer to court docs for this. And it's no surprise he gets arrested and is the defendant in this case. So briefly stated, the defendant in his statement confessed that the victim had apparently entered the open door of his home that evening and he discovered her standing in the doorway. The confession states that he took her into the bedroom, disrobed her, and committed an act of anal intercourse whereupon she died, he suspected of shock, which when he when he said that they were like, holy fuck, because that that is that was her determined cause of death. Mm. The statement then relates that he disposed of the body and the clothing in, in the garbage bags, and the final page contains a diagram of the location of where the body and clothing were dropped, which matched where that farmer had found her. Subsequently, the defendant was charged with first-degree murder and sexual perversion on August 21st, 1974. And his fucking lawyer tried to, to get them to remove the confession from... The fucking trial evidence. I, I'm sorry. I'm like, I don't know. Mm. I don't. I obviously don't do the court stuff often, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but after the preliminary hearing, they were like, no, fuck you. This is going to be in here. Well, he fucking confesses in that. Like, yes, of course, his defense attorney wants it ruled out. Yes. To be used as evidence because it's the only thing fucking tying him to that crime. Exactly. And. At that time, they decided that, you know, they announced that the charges were going to be first degree murder, the sexual perversion, enticing a child for immoral purposes and indecent behavior with a child. Enticing a child for immoral purposes. Yes. That's a hell of a big law. Yeah. And so then the defense tried to suppress the confession again. And again, they were just like, nope, too fucking bad. because. Basically, he tried to be like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. The only reason why there is this confession is because they forced me to sign it. Okay. But this was false. This was proven false. <laughs> <laughs> like, nice fucking try, you piece of shit. So when they got denied having this confession suppressed, they pushed for a change of venue to get a fair trial because they argued that they could, that could not be done in Fond du Lac County. And the judge said, too fucking bad. Again. Yeah, when you're kind of accused no, no, of what no. you're accused of, you're not really getting a fair trial. Exactly. 
The court did grant a motion made by the state to exclude from the trial all references and circumstances surrounding the polygraph exam that he took on August 2nd, and then any reference to the other polygraph. So this, you know, this was just like, they were just like, nope, we're not going to, we're going to throw that shit out. But it's like, obviously, that doesn't even fucking matter. So for this case, the trial began on January 27th, 1975, and the state's case, like I said, it did include the confession and some circumstantial evidence. The big things being hair Mm -hmm. that was found on her body and her clothes. And basically, the defense just kept on with this. They made me sign this confession. They made me do this. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But honestly, as this like this whole trial went on, the most important witness was Dr. Karlovsky. So he was the one who had done, like, the examination and everything, right? So it's kind of like, it goes really back and forth. Here's the thing that's, like, confusing to me. So a lot of stuff was saying that her cause of death was shock. But Mm -hmm. I guess the final, like, this is, like, so, like, when he testified, he said that the official cause of death was asphyxiation secondary to a cardiopulmonary arrest. And he said that... This was because of the trauma to the vaginal and anal areas of the child. He said this activated her sympathetic nervous system, causing primary shock, which resulted in the stoppage of the heart. So that's like what kind of confused me, I guess, is like, why would you say that it was asphyxiation? But then you're saying it's shock. Like, not that it matters, but you know what I'm saying? That's why it's like, I guess, kind of. I'm wondering if like the heart attack started happening and then something covered her mouth she wasn't able to breathe yeah so he had said and i grabbed this directly because i'm like this shit is just like to me i did a mind blown gesture you guys can't see that it's fine (laughs) that this heart attack resulted in the failure of the blood to circulate and thereby transport oxygen to and remove carbon dioxide from the body tissues Mm -hmm. this failure of circulation thus caused the death by asphyxiation Uh uh-huh It says the body tissues have insufficient amount of oxygen and excess carbon dioxide, which, yes, if you like suffocate, that's that makes sense, you know? Yeah, because your brain would asphyxiate. Yes. And then he also stated that activation of the sympathetic nervous system may occur as a result of physical trauma and also emotional trauma, such as caused by a frightful experience. And he said that in his opinion, death would occur through the activation of this mechanism in less than 1% of cases of sexual molestation. But this is what happened in her case. Mm. Yes. I mean, it is extreme. And there's like hardly any words to really describe. Like, she was nine. Yeah. And basically, with all of the evidence that they got, plus his confession, Gerald essentially took her to his bedroom. He disrobed her. He placed her on the bed. This is like big trigger warning. He inserted his fingers into her vagina, and that's when he sodomized her. And he was a 24-year-old male. And Lisa was fucking nine years old. She was four foot five and weighed 63 pounds. And more according to court docs, This conduct was of such a nature as to cause, as the autopsy revealed, like we said, a dilation of her anus with a tear measuring about one-tenth of an inch in that Mm -hmm. area, and then another tear measuring one-third by two-thirds of an inch 
what was found in her vaginal area. And they also found small amounts of blood in that area as well. Both, like I said, his confession, the doctor's testimony, like all of that determined that she died during or immediately after the act of sodomy and prior to being put in the plastic bags. Because at first they're like, was she just what not just was she assaulted and then put in there and then suffocated that way? So, yeah. So basically, of course, with all of this, the jury was able to find, you know, decide without a reasonable doubt that his conduct is what killed her. Mm -hmm. And here's what's going to like really piss you off. The enticing a child charge. Basically, Mm -hmm. it states that any persons 18 or older or over who with the intent to commit any crime against sexual morality persuades or entices a child under the age of 18 into any vehicle, building, room or secluded place may be imprisoned not more than 10 years. Yeah, that seems about right. And another excerpt from his fucking confession stated that I then sort of helped her into my bedroom, which was to the right of the living room. At the time, I was highly sexually motivated, and this prompted me to take Lisa into the bedroom. So you're horny and a nine-year-old girl answers or is at your door. That that doesn't translate. Yep. And then what doesn't make fucking sense is they try to argue that it wasn't established that he, and they put this in their papers, they put quotes around these words, induced, solicited, or allured the child is only semantics. I don't think the nine-year-old is walking into his bedroom disrobing and being like, hey. Yeah. And he tries to say that he, quote, sort of help and took the victim into the bedroom. What? And that basically the verbiage of persuades is not a factor here. Okay, so we already know that regardless of the situation, it's going to be at least it's going to be it's going to be rape. Mm -hmm. But like at this point, sir, you're now you're. Yeah, it is semantics. Do you want it to either be enticing a minor for perverse immoral reasons or do you want it to be kidnapping? Right. Because that's what the other option, in my opinion, is. When you take another human, it's called kidnapping. Exactly. I've just had the best sleep of my life this week. And it's all because I upgraded my sleep with the Blissey's award-winning 100% mulberry silk pillowcases. Silk is what's best for your hair and skin, and it reduces frizz and tangles and even prevents breakage. That's because it keeps the moisture in your hair and keeps your skincare products and natural moisture on your skin, unlike cotton does. So you can say goodbye to wrinkly skin in the morning and wake up with healthier and shinier hair that you can be proud of. With the holidays just around the corner, why not give the gift of better sleep? Plus, it comes in gift-ready packaging they'll be sure to love. I love my Blissey pillowcases. They are so comfortable and having extensions, all I have to do is braid my hair at night and not worry about extra breakage. It's been such a relief. And because it has cooling technology, I don't have to look for that cool side of the pillow. And everyone loves them. They have a ton of great prints and colors and they make great gifts because there's an option literally for everyone. They have over 1 million raving fans and you could be next. Try now risk-free for 60 nights at blissy.com slash spookedgirls and get an additional 30% off. 
That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash Spooked Girls and use the code Spooked Girls to get an additional 30% off. Your skin and hair will thank you. So at the close of the evidence, the trial court submitted to the jury verdicts for the four crimes charged and also second degree murder. Twice during deliberation, the jury requested repetition of the instructions of first and second degree murder. After almost eight hours of deliberation, the jury rendered verdicts of guilty of second-degree murder, sexual perversion, enticing a child for immoral purposes, and indecent behavior with a child. And the defendant was sentenced to serve an indeterminate term not to exceed nine years and six months for the crime of enticing a child to run concurrently with a term not to exceed nine years and six months for the crime of indecent behavior. The defendant was further sentenced to serve no more than four years and six months for the crime of sexual perversion and an indetermined term not to exceed 24 years and six months for second-degree murder, and both sentences were to be served consecutively with all other sentences. Now, we about to get even more mad. You think you're already fucking pissed because this guy's a fucking monster. Mm -hmm. So he's convicted, right? And he starts serving time on February 2nd, 1975, officially. Okay. Okay. So we're going to jump to 1992. That's not not much further. Um, Guess what? He got paroled on good behavior. And went to a halfway house in Milwaukee. And uh, people were fucking pissed, as they should be. I would think. So there were protests happening 24 fucking 7. And not only was this just, you know, regular community members, this was government officials. This was law enforcement. Oh, shit. There was all sorts of fucking people pissed about this and being out there picketing and all of that. And so they made a plan. And in November of 1993, they decided to do a civil lawsuit against Gerald to reconsider this release. Mm -hmm. So, of course, during this, he was in jail at that time and almost got released, like got out. But the state blocked it. And they're like, no, fuck you. You're fucking staying in here right now. Right. And under this, they actually made a fucking law called Turner's Law. So he could be locked up in some capacity. And basically it was to put him in a mental institution if they were going to be like, fine, you're going to you're going to fucking act like it doesn't even matter what he did. We're going to try to go this route. But the bigger thing with this is that they had to determine if he was a sexual predator or what and more what. In 1998, the jury decided he wasn't. Come again for big fudge. Even 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 though. He did that shit to Lisa. And even though he had the statutory assault with the 15-year-old and an ex-wife and an ex-girlfriend came forward and was like, if we don't, if we did not have sex with him, he would assault us. All of them said that. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's back to his halfway house and he's working and doing whatever. And in July of 1998. He threatened a caseworker with a knife. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's not a good thing to have happened. Uh-uh. And basically, they were just like, his parole needs to be revoked. So they tried to get it revoked so he could go back to jail. Right. And uh, nope. right. That's smart. Nope. He's a little fucking cockroach. And he was fucking free still. And then on top of that, in 1999, he sued a waste management company because they denied him employment because of his criminal history. And 
that's illegal. That was illegal there. So he he won. He won. And he got an undisclosed amount of money from them. Ew. Yeah. And flash forward to 2002, 2003, they came to do a check on him, right? At the halfway house he lived at. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't you know, they found computers and hard drives with a lot of very graphic material. Mm. Mm-hmm. And also found magazines and movies and all of this stuff. And apparently he'd become really obsessed with some movies about serial killers who had victims of young girls. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, this breaks parole and they really have no fucking choice, but they obviously have to send him back to jail. Thank fucking God, right? Right. Well. That didn't happen. He was sentenced to 15 years for this violation. So originally, his mandatory release date was supposed to be February 1st of 2018. And in October of 2017, Lisa's mom, they petitioned to have him stay. And then they brought up this Turner's Law again. Mm -hmm. So he didn't get out at that time. But we did have an update, actually, from earlier this year. And it was another look on if he was going to be released, right? Mm-hmm. So back in February, the judge had looked at this to see if he was going to be released and found that he needed to stay locked up in the facility he is in. So thank fucking God. Good judge. Good judge. So basically, yes, they deemed he was a sexually violent person. And according to this law, it was you have to be deemed a sexually violent person that must have been convicted or found delinquent of a sexually violent offense, found not guilty of a sexually violent offense by reason of mental disease or defect, have a mental disorder or be, quote, dangerous to others because the person's mental disorder makes it likely that he or she will engage in acts of sexual violence. Got it. Yeah. So thank fucking God he met the criteria. Obviously, we all know this, but we know he's a fucking little slippery snake. Didn't they, like, write the fucking law to keep him in jail? Yes, that's literally what happened. And they just, I don't understand how they're, like, this happened. Like, what the fuck? But he is still locked up today. He has not been released. Hopefully, this monster will never fucking be released. Mm Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that is the case of Lisa French. Gotta love an entire community that just yes. like fucking comes together and is like, we are going to continually rain down the karma right. on your ass for now until ever. And like my thought when you were saying like Elise's mom had mm-hmm. petitioned to keep him in and whatnot, my fear is in situations like that, once Lisa's Lisa's mom moves on, I really hope her brother picks up the torch. Cause remember, she has that brother who's yeah. nine years younger than her. Yeah. And also, while, like, all the original court stuff was happening and everything, apparently, Mm -hmm. because, you know, that was a couple years down the road at that point, her mom was pregnant again, and she was still busting her fucking ass. Mm. She even had the baby and was still busting her ass for justice for Lisa. And I'm just like, damn, this woman. And she's still doing it today. So I'm like, fuck. No, I. She's a boss ass bitch. It's amazing. Yes. Right. Because, like, there's so many cases out there where children get like assaulted or murdered and then people just like expect the community to get over it because they need to Mm -hmm. quote unquote heal this is the perfect example of healing through action yes i agree 
I agree. So yeah, she is definitely a hero in my book, for sure. All right, y'all. Well, that is going to go ahead and wrap us up for today. Thank you all for listening. And we hope you have or had a safe and happy Halloween. And we will see you back here on Thursday. Bye, guys. Bye. Three spoons.